I was younger, I had a boss that was really, really negative, and this boss's negativity impacted my wife and I's life very much because it seemed that people just couldn't do any wrong, uh, I mean, people couldn't do anything right in their eyes, they could only do wrong. It seemed that every time we would hang out with them, uh, both my boss and his wife, that they would just constantly drag and pull people down, and they would always talk about how they could see so clearly what those people or that culture or that environment, what they needed to do to fix their problems. In other words, they kind of saw themselves as the solution. They saw themselves as the all-seeing, all-knowing answer for what apparently everyone was dealing with. And so being involved in that type of environment and working for that type of person, especially as closely as I worked with him, it began to infect and influence my wife and I to where we started doing the same things. We would sit around and talk about people and their problems, and we would talk about our community. We would talk about the culture in which we lived in. We would talk about certain situations surrounding our, our church. I was a youth pastor, and so here I am with my pastor, and as a youth pastor, just being extremely negative, and I would take all this home, and it jaded the way that I saw everything. It jaded the way I saw other people, and we began to think, that we were right in all of our opinions about everything and about everyone. And actually, it ended up, as I look back on it, it was like drinking poison, though, because even though it might have tasted good at the moment, being able to see from our vantage point the apparent fix for our culture, the apparent fix for our church, the apparent fix for every individual that we came in contact with, it was so negative and it was so destructive that it actually was killing us. As a matter of fact, that was the only time in my life that I actually tried to uh, remedy my feelings of depression and struggle uh, with medication. I actually got on some antidepressants and things like that, and I didn't know why I was depressed. I didn't know why I was struggling. And when I traced it back, honestly, it was from all those negative conversations. It was from all that negativity because we were just constantly surrounded by negativity. It's like we're, 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 we're seeing these things and we're talking about these things, but it's not really going anywhere. It's just festering and feeding negativity. Have you ever been around people like that? Or have you ever participated in something like that? Or maybe that's where you're at right now. It's kind of like the old uh, story. I don't know if it's true or not, um, but the, the, I heard this uh, maybe in a sermon somewhere. I may have preached it before. I don't know. But where uh, they would say that Eskimos um, would hunt by taking a knife and they would cover it in blood and they would freeze the blood on the knife and then they would place the knife out in, uh, you know, like the snow or something like that where the blade side was sticking up. And then the wolves would come and they would smell the blood and they would come and lick the blood off of the knife. And then before they knew it, they weren't licking the blood that was frozen to the knife. They were actually licking their own blood and it would kill the wolves. And that's exactly how being in those negative environments is. You don't even realize that, oh man, this tastes so good, oh man, this seems so right, but it's actually hurting you and it's hurting others around you. And I want to make sure that as we are a people who are called to be salt and light, as we are the people of God who are representing Jesus Christ to the world, that we are a people who are truly bringing that salt and light and being aware of the enemy's traps, because that's what Scripture tells us to do. Don't be ignorant. Don't be unaware of the schemes of the enemy. And I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want to be unaware. I want us to grow in this, and I want us to grow in a way where we can honor God, because when you're constantly surrounded by negativity, 
It changes you. And it was changing the Christians in Asia Minor in Peter's day as well. And Peter addressed it by showing them how to live in the culture that they were called to live in, but yet called to be separate from the people and the way that they were living as well. So how to live in the world but not be of the world. And that really is the theme of 1 Peter. So that's where we've been for the past couple of weeks. I thought Pastor Pete did a fantastic job um, last week finishing out chapter 1. We've been going verse by verse through 1 Peter. And we're going to kick it off today by going uh, through chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. So that's going to be our text. So let's do this. Let's go through First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 12, and let's read it all, and then we're going to kind of circle back and let's talk about those scriptures, all right? So if you have your Bible, go ahead and uh, catch up with us to First Peter. That's where we're going to hang out today, chapter 2. Peter says this, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation." Before we circle back and go to verse 1, something just kind of popped out at me as we were reading verse 12, and I just kind of want to highlight that and hit that. Peter says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Isn't it interesting that Peter, writing to a group of people who were previously known as Gentiles, because these are non-Jewish people, that's what that means to be a Gentile, you're a non-Jewish person, you're outside of that natural uh, inheritance, outside of that natural family of God where you can trace your lineage back to Abraham, you are a Gentile, you're outside but yet he's writing this letter to churches that are Gentile churches. But why does he reference those who are outside of God as Gentiles? Because now he's not talking anymore about necessarily where you were born. He's not talking necessarily about the way you were raised. He's talking about are you a part of God's family or are you not a part of God's family? So now it's no longer can you trace your heritage back and do your ancestry.com and see if Abraham, you know, is in your DNA, right? 
it's no longer about that. Now it's about whether or not you belong to God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because by faith, those who were once alienated, those who were once outside, those who were once strangers, those who were once uh, not a part of the family of God, Gentiles, have now been made a part of the family of God. And if you look, he also addresses them that way in his greeting in chapter 1 as well. So he says, those who are outside of the family of faith, so you need to make sure you're keeping your conduct, he says, honorable amongst those people who are not in the family of faith. He's not talking about a race issue. He's not talking about a, a heritage or a lineage issue as much as he's talking about, have you been born again? Have you been born into the family of God? Are you a part of this family or are you on the outside? So if you're a part of this family, he's addressing you. And he's saying, keep your conduct honorable amongst those who haven't yet become a part of the family of God. That's what he's addressing here uh, there in verse 12. Let's go back and let's circle to the first three verses. He says, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and evil and all slander. I think that's very interesting here. He's telling them to put these things away. Why is he telling them to put all these negative things away? Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Why is he telling them to put this stuff away? Because obviously they had been participating in it, right? They got caught up in negativity. They got caught up in wishing their enemies uh, all of this harm, all of these angry feelings, this malice. They were being deceitful. They were not being true and genuine. They were being fake. So maybe when they went in the marketplace, it was like, a, oh, hey, how you doing? Yeah, 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 good to see you. Oh, man, did you see that shop owner? He's got those idols in there. That guy, I tell you what. Uh, and they go and just bash and are negative and begin to just sow more negativity. He says, put that away. Hypocrisy, where they're, they're, they're not being sincere, where they're, being, they're being, uh, carrying a double standard where they're not even living the message that they're preaching about love and hope and reconciliation. He's saying, put that away. Envy. Maybe they become envious of those who are outside of the family of faith. I mean, hey, who wouldn't become envious? Uh, they don't have to deal with all of the persecution. It seemed like their lives were going so much better. Doesn't it seem that way sometimes? I mean, doesn't it, doesn't it seem that the enemy will spotlight people to where it seems that everyone who is not uh, uh, going about this life to try to serve Jesus, doesn't it seem that maybe they've got it just a little bit easier sometimes? And you look at that, you become envious of that. Maybe someone uh, accomplishes something that you may view as significant or successful or wealth or whatever the case may be, and you go, wow, it'd be a lot easier if I didn't have to serve Jesus because it seems that those who are outside of the family of faith sure do have it easy. Don't be envious of them and slander gossiping, putting them down, constantly talking negatively about them all the time. I, I tell you, these are the things that I was caught up in years ago when I was a youth pastor, and the negativity just, man, it messed with me and my wife so much, and it caused a lot of problems in our marriage and us personally and our effectiveness and the way we viewed people, the lack of love that we had, and it's the same thing that Peter's addressing but he's not talking about necessarily even amongst the family of God because, yes, it is important to put those things away uh, from the way that you treat the people who are in the family of God. He's actually talking about the way you treat people who aren't in the family of God. 
He's talking about the way you treat outsiders. He's talking about the way you treat those and the way that you have this attitude towards those who don't know Jesus yet, who are still searching, who are still looking for hope. He says, put away those things. You're called out of those things. You're participating in those things, but that's not who you are. And then he says, you're, you're, you should be like a newborn infant, longing for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if you indeed have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. He's not talking in the same way about milk necessarily that Paul referred to milk. I know that when we see milk in Scripture in the New Testament, when it could be referencing um, our spiritual maturity, we think, oh, milk, that's like new Christian stuff. Well, he's not saying necessarily that he's talking about if you're an infant in Christ and you're new in Christ in the sense of you don't know anything. No, he's saying you need to actually desire nurturing from the Lord. You're the infant here, right? He's not talking about the fact that you're a new Christian. He's not talking about the fact that you don't know anything yet. He's talking about the way an infant desires that milk. That's how you need to desire to grow spiritually. And you and I never need to lose that. Amen? We never need to lose that desire to grow spiritually. He says, so put all of this other stuff away and instead put yourself in a position where you're desiring to grow. Because obviously, if you're not desiring to grow, you're probably becoming very critical of everyone else. Because isn't that normally how it goes when you're not growing? If you're not growing, you're critical. You're critical because you're, you're thinking that you've got a certain measure of things figured out and now you've earned the right to fix everybody else and to criticize. And this critical spirit rises up, and it's pride, and, it, and, and we get blinded by it because we don't see ourselves as being prideful. We actually think we're right. We think we know the solution. We know the answer. And man, if everyone would just come and sit at our feet and listen, I mean, obviously, if everyone would just read our Facebook posts, if everyone would just read our blogs, if everyone would just read our forwarded emails, well, then they would be able to also be like us and see how great we are. Oh, that was a little too close. I understand. I'm sorry. That was, that was, I'll get my hand out of the cookie jar. I'm sorry. No, it's true, isn't it? Isn't that what we do? We become critical. Why? If we become critical, we've stopped growing. We really have because we're, we're not approaching the Lord in humility as that newborn infant hungering and longing for him. We think we've got it and it's arrogance and it's pride he said, if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, man, you need to approach him like this, like this newborn infant. And as you come to him, he says, come to him like a, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You're, you're coming to him realizing men are going to reject you. So, so stop doing all this other stuff to either make yourself feel elevated and better than everyone else and trying to put everyone else down or compromising but instead long for that pure spiritual milk, long for the things of God, the pure things of God, because you've tasted, you've seen, he's good. If you come to him, he says, like a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, you're chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We honor God by putting away unloving practices. We want to live a life that honors God. Amen? 
Uh, this side of the room wants to honor God. I'm sorry, I, I, I couldn't hear, and I couldn't hear you guys online. You got to be a little louder online. I said, we want to live lives that honor God. Amen? Amen. Men. <laughs> you got to finish that. We want to live lives that honor God. And one of the ways that we in is that we live lives that honor God is that we put away unloving practices. He lists off these, these things, these five things here that do not honor God because it, it creates something in us that is not pleasing to the Lord. And it may elevate our own ego. It may elevate our own thinking. It may elevate our own sense of being right. And here's, here's the hard thing, guys. A lot of the things that you may think, they may be right. You may be thinking right. You may be speaking truth. But the Bible says there's a way to speak truth. How are we supposed to speak truth, church? Somebody help me out. In love. love. It's not just truth. It's truth in love. We see this all throughout the life of Jesus. He spoke truth to many people in various situations, but it was always in love because he is love manifested. Even the harder things Jesus said were still done in love. It was never an arrogance. It was never to see, so so they could go, well, well, they're going to see I'm right on this deal. It wasn't this cocky, arrogant attitude that we can often get. And it's so dangerous for us because there's so many things that I know you see, I know you understand. And we're living in a time where there are a lot of things that may be coming to the surface with relationships that you have maybe family, maybe even your spouse, maybe with friends, maybe um, with your adult children, maybe with uh, co-workers or neighbors. I mean, maybe uh, you're, you're talking about the different issues facing our world. You're talking about the election. You're talking about the, uh, the different things happening in our world. And man, when that conversation happens, it can go pretty negative pretty quick. And we have to learn how to navigate those relationships because people matter more to God than you being proven right. People matter more to God than you being proven right. I know you want to be right, and you may be right. You may be. But we have to put away those unloving practices because even if I'm right, if it's motivated and driven by those unloving practices, it's not honoring to God. If, if it causes me to be negative, to, to slander, to be hypocritical, to be envious, to be someone who's unloving, to be someone who's being deceitful, to be someone who's slandering and gossiping, if, if those are the things that it causes me to be, even though I'm right, it's not honoring to God. God is not pleased with your being right if those are the motivating factors. Hello, somebody. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Because Christ followers are to long for the pure things of God. That's what Christ followers are to do. They are to long for the pure things of God. Just like he said, the infant is supposed to be like longing for that mother's milk. It's pure. It's something that's uncontaminated. It's something that came directly from the source that gave that infant life. And you and I are to long for that that source that gave us this new life that we now have in Christ, and it is pure, and it is right. And as Christ followers, we are to long for the pure things of God. And so we need to be surrounding ourselves with the pure things of God. Amen? Because if I'm surrounded by negative influences, then that's going to have a tendency 
to poison my heart a certain way. And I have to be careful about the influences I allow into my ears, the influences I allow in through my eyes, the influences that I allow in my mind. I have to be careful about those things that I allow. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't watch the news. I'm not saying that you shouldn't read articles and whatnot. Those things can be helpful, but when they become toxic and they stir and create a negative attitude and a negative spirit in you or in your home and you're not desiring and longing for the pure things of God and it's just stirring up malice, anger, bitterness, envy, slander, uh, hypocrisy, all those things Peter said to put away. When it gets to the point to where it's stirring those things up, I probably need to shut it off. So let me get real close to home. Is talk radio, Fox News, CNN, Facebook, BuzzFeed, are these things stirring your thoughts and emotions to honor God, or does it actually stoke the fire of the five things that Peter told us to put away? And I'm not saying you have to stay away from all those things. I'm not, I'm not saying those things are all bad, but they may be bad for you. You understand what I'm saying today? And they may be bad for you in this season because maybe you're addicted to it a little bit too much. If you're just sitting there with the news running 24-7 and you're always looking for something new to get upset about, it won't take long, right? <laughs> if you're constantly scrolling through your social media feed and you're looking for something to get upset about, it won't take long. And you just want to share that information, you want to forward it, you want to make sure it gets out there to the world so everyone else can be upset too. Does it drive you to pray and do God-honoring things? Or does it drive you to be full of malice and envy and hypocrisy and deceit and, and slander? What type of fruit is it producing in you? Because we as the people of God who are living lives that should be honoring God have to be careful with what we allow in our heart. Is it, is it robbing me from desiring the pure things of God? because I'm desiring so much of that? Am I reading my Bible as much as I'm watching the news and reading the, all these political arguments and articles? I find myself doing this. This is what I got to stop doing. I'm just going to give you my little uh, public confession here, all right? Uh, confessional, all right? You're, you're, you're all the priest. Here I am. I'm confessional. Forgive me, I've sinned. All right, here we go. <laughs> here, here's what I've done. I like reading the comments after a news article and seeing the people argue with each other. I got to stop doing that. That's not helping me at all. <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm just being real with you. I, gotta, I, I don't really even read the article. I go straight to the comments because I want to see people at odds with each other. That's not right. That's not honoring God. I, what, what good does that do? that I see that there are people who are being vile and ugly towards each other. That's so edifying to my spirit, so honoring to the Lord. It stirs up such good things and produces such good fruit in me. No, I've got to stop doing that. I did it this morning. I mean, I opened up my phone and I'm like, oh yeah, I want to see how the president was doing, you know, with, with, with his sickness. And, and I was like, oh, let me see what people are saying about this, you know. <laughs> what are you doing, man? Like, is that helpful? Is that how you want to come to church? Is that, that how you, you got to teach the Bible today. What's your problem? You know, I got to shut that stuff off. I'm just being real with you, but you do too. 
We have to stop allowing these things to flood our minds and our hearts because it's not creating God-honoring things in us. Because I can't love others well when I constantly see them as my enemy. I just can't. I can't love my neighbor well who has the opposing party sign from whom I'm voting for in their yard well if I constantly see them as the enemy just because they may not agree with me or think like me, even though I can give them a hundred reasons I'm right. I still view that person a little differently, if I'm honest. What's wrong? I've been soaking myself and saturating myself with this way of thinking because I've been told to demonize anything that doesn't line up with the way that I think. Remember, Peter was not talking to people in the church how to treat each other. That, that, that's a whole other conversation. I mean, there, that, that's... that's a whole other conversation. He's talking about how you treat people who are Gentiles, who are outside of the family. He's talking putting away those types of thinking, those types of attitudes towards those people. You see, I can't love my neighbor who has a Trump sign or a Biden sign in their yard well if I constantly see them as my enemy. I've got to start seeing people as people and not as my enemy. Amen? I don't care how how um, disingenuous they are, how they may even be doing it for good PR sake. I actually have appreciated um, some of the president's uh, biggest foes wishing him and his wife well. I think that does us good when we see people who are against each other actually saying something good about someone else. And I think that it honors God when the people of God are able to still love people where they're at and see them as people and not be full of malice, envy, bitterness, slander, and all this junk that doesn't glorify God. Amen? So here is the bottom line, and I want you to help me preach this message by sharing this. We honor God best by loving others well. That's how we are going to bring honor to God best by loving other people well. There's this thing around here, maybe you've heard it once or twice, but we say love God, love people, and serve the world. Amen. We're loving God, and out of that love of God, if we're really loving God, like Peter said, if you've tasted of that pure spiritual milk, he said, if you've tasted of it, then you truly have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And if I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good and I'm loving God well, then I'm going to love what God loves. And God loves people. How do we know God loves people? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Amen? Amen. For God so loved the world. That means those who vote like you and those who don't. That means those who think like you and watch the news channel you watch and those who watch the other side of the news that you don't watch and you don't participate in. You see, God loves folks. And He loves them right where they're at. The woman caught in the act of adultery, yeah, Jesus spoke truth to her, but he also loved her and showed her mercy right where she was at. Jesus showed Zacchaeus, the tax collector, showed him mercy and love right where he was at. Jesus showed the thief on the cross who was rightfully there paying the penalty for his crime as Jesus, the innocent one, hanging on the cross next to him, and Jesus showed him mercy. We see Jesus' mercy and His love and the way that He treats people. Um, we see it so uh, vivid. We see how He interacts with people and the people that actually Jesus was opposed to the most and dealt with the harshestly were the church people. Um, it was the people who were in priest positions and church leadership 
people who thought they had it all figured out, people who had been actually looking at the Scriptures their entire life. Jesus said, you guys are looking at all this, but you're a bunch of hypocrites because you see it and you think you've got it figured out, but you're blind and you're not seeing it. So we're going to honor God best, not by just knowing a bunch of stuff, not by just broadcasting a bunch of stuff. We're going to honor God best by loving other people well. Let's look at a little bit more of this here in the Scripture. Verse 4, he says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. He said, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But then he says, for those who don't believe, that stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And it's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation." live in front of those who are outside of the family of faith in such a way and the way that you treat them, the way you interact, the way that you love well, the way that you realize the position you're in as a recipient of His mercy, that they acknowledge God through the way that you actually treat them. It changes something in them. It maybe even make, may make them curious about things. It may change the way they thought about Christians and Christ followers and church people. It may change the way that they think by the way you treat them, by the way you honor them. He says, listen, Christ is a stumbling stone of offense. Christ is going to offend people that don't know and love Christ. He's going to offend. So you are going to offend. I get it, right? But when we offend, am I offending someone because I'm still being loving and I'm being truthful and I'm representing Christ well, or am I offending them because I'm being a jerk? There's a difference. Amen? There is a difference. Am I just being a jerk because I know what's right and you're dumb and you don't know what's right and I'm going to be really arrogant in my attitude, or am I offending you because really it's not me who's offending you, it's really Christ who's causing you to be offended? And I have to remember, wow, I've been given a lot of mercy, amen? I don't know about you, but I've been given a lot of mercy. I've been given a lot of mercy. I can't believe that I get to stand up here and teach the holy words of God that are inspired by the Holy Spirit, and somehow I survive each week, 
Like I, I like I don't know how I survived doing this, speaking and saying, you know, this is what God said. I'm reading His words publicly to hundreds of people, and God says, "Yeah, I'm gonna let you live this week." Like I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like some of you know me, and you're like, "Yeah, we don't know either how 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 you make it out alive every week." I mean. But at the same time, I, I look at that and I see how merciful God is and I see how just God is and I see how good that He is. And if He's shown me all of this mercy, how arrogant of me is it to think that it's just all for me? How selfish is it of me to think that it's all just for me? You see, I have to realize I'm blessed to be a blessing that's not just talking about material things. We always go straight to material things. That's not just what that means when we say that little saying. It means the mercy I've been shown, just like Peter writes. He says, don't you remember that you were once not God's people? <laughs> you were once outside of the family of faith. But now because of his mercy, you've been brought in. Now you have received mercy He's trying to communicate to the people, listen, I know you're in a situation where there's a lot against you and there's a lot of loud voices that are hurling stones your direction. There's a lot of social pressures. There's a lot of things that are wanting to make life very difficult for you and maybe it really stinks where you work at right now because maybe you're the only Christian at work. Maybe you're the only Christian in your home, in your household. Maybe the way that you think and the things that you value that honor God, people that are maybe really even close to you don't value those things, and it causes tension. What am I supposed to do in the middle of that? Because I just can't get them to agree with me. Remember that you have been shown a whole lot of mercy. And remember that God has been like crazy patient with you. And then you're not only supposed to go, thank you, Jesus, for all of that love and patience and mercy. You're supposed to freely receive and freely give. So we love others well, and it honors God. It brings glory to God because it takes the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of us to help us to do that. Because in our flesh, we don't want to, right? In our flesh, we don't want to. That's why he says in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. They're actually waging war against your soul. <laughs> That's pretty intense. The passions of your flesh are waging war against your soul. That means the things that you really want to do that don't honor God, those things are in direct opposition to the Spirit of God living on the inside of you. And those who are the children of God, they walk according to the Spirit and not after the flesh. That's what Paul says in Romans. We need to make sure that we are honoring God best by loving others well. If we want to honor God best, we must stop seeing people who think differently than us as the enemy. Here is what Paul said in Ephesians 6 and 12. Go ahead and pull that up. Ephesians 6 and 12, he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Can we just stop right there for a minute? I know you've heard this scripture before if you've come to church here recently because we've used this one quite a few times. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, people, what we can see, right? That's not our battle. 
some of us need to just stop right there and you need to meditate on that, man, because you've been really nasty to other people. And you've allowed yourself to get caught up in malice and envy and strife and, and slander and all this negativity. And, 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 and it's hurting you. And it's hurting the rest of the body too. And it's hurting your family. And you've got you to get that. We don't wrestle. That's not your battle. It's not against flesh and blood. But here is your battle. Here's the battle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So this is a spiritual battle. All this stuff happening in our world, because let me tell you, what happens in the spiritual always manifests itself out in the natural. We, we, we see this is so true and how there's these spiritual battles, there's spiritual uh, attacks, and there is a cycle that just gets repeated throughout human history. Why? Because it's a spiritual thing that's driven by what? The spirit of the Antichrist. It's this spirit that's very much against Christ. This spirit that does not want mercy to prevail. A spirit that wants division to run rampant. A spirit that wants to cause chaos and pain. That's what that spirit wants. And I don't want to play the game. I want to realize this is a spiritual battle. And it's not a flesh and blood thing. So you can attach names to it. You can attach a Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, whatever. But it's not a flesh and blood thing. It's a spiritual thing. And so how do you fight spiritual warfare with your spiritual weapons? <laughs> The weapons of our warfare are mighty through God, and with them we pull down strongholds. It starts really in our mind. Am I renewing my mind to be in line with Christ? Am I being a person who is learning the Word, who is desiring that spiritual milk, who is desiring that spiritual nourishment? Am I pursuing spiritual nourishment? Am I surrounding myself with people who are holding me accountable to pursue spiritual nourishment and, and that will call me out on my stuff when I start to, to, start to waver and I start to get off into some of this negative stuff and they go, whoa, that's not who we're supposed to be. That's not who we're called to be. Remember, we're a royal priesthood. We're a chosen generation. We're a holy people. Holy means set apart. That means we're not supposed to react the way everyone reacts because right now in our world, everyone thinks that if we all just react the same to opposing ideas, whoever's the loudest and can get the most people to agree with them wins. And that's what we think. We think if I can be louder than you, <clears throat> if I can be wittier than you, if I can be meaner than you, and if I can just get more people to agree with me, then obviously I'm right. And I'll make you look like a fool and make you look ignorant and make you look like you're a part of the minority instead of a part of the majority. And that's the tactic that people are using to try to communicate truth. I don't see Jesus using that. I don't see Peter telling the church to use that tactic. We've got to stop just joining in with warring against flesh and blood. That's how people fight flesh and blood battles. Whoever's got the biggest gun, whoever's got the biggest mouth, whoever's got the, the, the biggest crowd, who has ever got the biggest group, who's ever got the most people to be able to champion their cause, that's who wins. That's not how we fight battles in the Spirit. We need to be people who are taking these things that very much we see as spiritual to the Lord in prayer. People who learn, according to the Scripture, how to desire that spiritual nourishment so we can live our lives in a way in the middle of all this chaos, in a way that honors God. Amen? Amen. 
Longing for the spiritual milk of God's Word is going to sustain us and equip us to fight the real enemy. And that's that spiritual enemy, because loving God first and loving God most changes my heart towards people. When I start seeing people as people, it changes my heart. And when, I, when my heart is changed and I see people, and I see people that Jesus died for, and I see people that may need Jesus, it changes my attitude towards them. So instead of gossiping and slandering, instead of being deceitful, instead of being full of malice, I, I pray for President Trump. I pray for Joe Biden. I pray for Governor Evers. I pray for these people. I don't just criticize them and become a negative person because is that advancing the agenda of the kingdom of God? Or am I seeing them as people? Am I seeing them as people that Jesus, Jesus died for? And regardless whether I agree or disagree with their policy, what matters more? Their eternity matters more. Have I even thought and cared about their eternity? Have I prayed for their soul? Have I prayed for them to be surrounded by godly counsel, people who are going to show them the love and truth of Jesus? Am I praying for them? Am I praying that the Holy Spirit opens their eyes to see what living a life dedicated and consecrated to Jesus looks like and to see the value of that? Am I praying for them or am I just criticizing because it's easy to criticize? That's why we have so many armchair couch coaches. People get paid millions of dollars to coach professional football and college football. And average Joe sitting on the couch goes, that's a dumb call. Well, they're not paying you anything. And, and you actually contributed more money to your hat, your sweatshirt, your, your mug, whatever, you know, your, your, all the stuff that you've bought to support the team. So actually you're helping pay the guy's salary. And, you know, we think we know sitting from our vantage point. And we think we can criticize, and that's what we love to do. We, we love to be right from our, the comfort of our couch. But rather than us loving being right, can we love God and love people more and pray for them and allow God to work in us as a softer heart towards those whom we disagree with? Because we are not wrestling against flesh and blood. I don't agree with a lot of it either, you guys. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not saying we shouldn't do what we can. We should do what we can. But are we doing it in an attitude and in a spirit of love? Are we seeing a person? When your family wants to sit around and talk about uh, politics, so they want to talk about the issues facing our world, are you just talking about it? Or are you talking about it and you're saying, you know what, we need to pray for this situation. We need to pray for those people. We need to pray for those police officers. We need to pray for those families of those uh, victims. We need to pray for all those who may be touched by these different challenges we're facing. We need to pray for those who are holding political office. I actually have Scripture to back all of that up. <laughs> you know what I don't have Scripture to back up? How it's okay to sit around and just talk bad about people and create an atmosphere of negativity. I've got a whole bunch of Scriptures that say don't do that. And we've got to stop feeding ourselves that junk. We've got to start feeding ourselves that spiritual nourishment. Amen? So what are you filling your heart and your mind with? Are you living in this world as a stranger but still loving those who are rejecting you and rejecting Christ? That's what Peter said to do. Christ is that stumbling block of offense. So let's honor God by thinking on His Word.